This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Five-minute mark, third period. Canadians lead four nothing. There's a shot for the line. They score. Luke Shen from the right point beats Sam Montembeau, and the Canucks are on the board. It's four to one. Three o'clock game on Sunday as Patterson gets a shot off the right wing rebound. They score in front. Niels Hoaglander, top of the crease, has his first of the year, and it's four to two with more than eleven minutes remaining in regulation time. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. Official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks drop a tough one in Montreal, 5-2 against the Habs. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. Our phone boards are open, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And also get your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Well, this performance from the Vancouver Canucks here tonight is maybe, maybe one of the more disappointing ones they've had this season, especially when you factor in everything hang everything going on around the team with what Jim Rutherford mentioned, mm-hmm. them having a game yesterday, and they won in Ottawa. They gave up the first goal in Ottawa. They were down 2-1 after the first period in Ottawa. They came back and won that game. Yet, tonight, in a game where... You should feel better about where you're trending. You talked so much about we believe in our head coach. We want our coach to be here. Your coach was put on the spot. You were put on the spot. And then you follow up yesterday's performance where you got lucky after the first 40 minutes because Spencer Martin stood on his head. You played well in the third. You earned the victory. And then you have this performance tonight? Yeah. They get the two goals in the third period, but that's... Come on. Like, what is that really worth? Yeah, you're down 4 nothing. In going into the third period against a team that is not very good, especially not very good defensively in Montreal, that's exactly when you should control the game. So I don't think they deserve that all that much credit for actually, you know, it looked like they had a chance to make a game of it, but you can't erase how poor they were in the first two periods, how little they generated, the brutal, brutal turnovers and giveaways and breakdowns that led to some of the Montreal goals. And again, there was this kind of, you know, they almost turned it into a real game, but even that falls short. With, again, another wide-open Montreal player, Kirby Dock, scoring. You would have had my attention if they would have scored on the power play to make it one goal. Yeah. And hey, you know, you hit a couple posts. JT hit the post. Quinn Hughes hit the post. But had you got that goal, you would have got my attention. But up until that point, it was score effects. A team's up 4 nothing. Yannick Hansen always says, don't read too much into games when a team's already taken a 3-4 to four goal lead. You know, like at that point, even if you push a little bit, as if you don't complete the comeback, it doesn't really say much. Yeah, and it's against, a Montreal Canadiens again it's against a team that's not good and not good defensively, no, no. right? <laughs> they don't know how to lock it down. They're a young rebuilding team with a bunch of rookies on their blue line. Yeah, they're gonna when it's, when they're up for nothing, you're probably gonna be able to push the pace against them. Yeah, they, they play like a team with no backbone tonight. You know, absolutely none. Let's welcome in Randy Janda into the discussion. Canucks lose 5-2 in Montreal against the Habs. And, you know, I posed the question on, on social media, Randy. Were you surprised by the Canucks' performance tonight, or was it kind of what you expected? And I was curious to find out how these guys were going to play tonight. We talked a lot about it yesterday on the postgame show. Today, you know, on the pregame show, I really want to see what the response is like after, you know, they got away with one in Ottawa. And I wasn't sure what to expect. I thought, honestly, I actually thought... 
they would have a good effort tonight. And maybe shame on me for believing that because I just can't believe that this is the effort they had. Like, this is the best they had tonight against a team that also played last night. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think maybe it was hopeful, but at the same time, you look at that Ottawa game in the third period, you're saying, okay, maybe they found the formula. Maybe that they can tap into that effort. And the way they started off that first period dictated at least for the following 40 minutes, of, of what kind of effort we saw. And the key word there is, this isn't a talent issue. We can you know, look at that back end and say, hey, how many actual NHLers do you have on that back end? A valid question. But if you start looking at that forward group, there's talent there. And the Montreal Canadiens, who are expected to be in the you know, Connor Bedard discussion to a certain degree at the very least, they outworked the Vancouver Canucks for 40 minutes yet again. And this is a similar story to what we heard about the Ottawa Senators. Listen, they got Toronto coming up on Saturday. They got Boston coming up on Sunday. Another back-to-back coming up against good teams. <laughs> you cannot let this happen against yeah. cellar dwellers in the NHL. So we can, we can you know, sat, talk about how talented we think this team is, but they should be, at the very least, at the very least, equals to the Montreal Canadiens in a game like this. And for 40 minutes, they weren't. At a certain point, Randeep, don't you think, and I mean, I'm guilty of this too, right? Where you see, okay, hey, they got called out and, you know, it wasn't a pretty game, but they win. They get that win. Can they build on it? Like, haven't we seen enough times at this point that typically in this situation, the team is going to take that step back? They're not going to follow through on the promise they show? I mean, at a certain point, as much as we can all sit here and say, wow, this was really shocking. I'm really surprised they didn't bring more effort. I feel like we've seen this over and over again with this team. Yeah, no, it, it is something where you, you think that because you've seen it before and there's these key moments, right? We talked about the Jim Rutherford comments that were made on Canucks Central. All right, because of that, they responded. It was very delayed because in the first half of that game, they didn't do anything. But yeah, they were rattled times, in the first half of the game, for man. Sure, for sure. They couldn't hit, they couldn't make crisp passes, right? No. Like they didn't have any response other than the third period. And if you want to give them the benefit of the doubt, I feel like we did to a certain extent and said, hey, they picked up the W. That's the most important thing. Then you follow it up tonight against the Montreal Canadiens. I'm with you, Jamie. I think there's an element of, all right, you just played probably the two teams that are going to be near the bottom of the Atlantic division and probably the league. Having faith in them to respond to comments or playing for pride or playing for the job security of their coach, you you better play up to the competition over the next two games. But in terms of believing that it's going to happen, no, I, I think... They kind of wasted that away in the last two games. Even though they ended up beating Mm -hmm. Ottawa, you still look at that effort and you say, okay, you got lucky in that one. This one, uh, they got worked in that first period and they couldn't come back from it. And the blame goes across the roster. This is not about one or two players. This is not about the goalie. This is not about the defense. This is not about the forwards. This is about everybody where you start looking at that and saying, first 40 minutes, everybody looked discombobulated. They, they did, man. I mean, they look completely out of sorts. And it's very clear that no matter what flaws this team has from a roster construction standpoint, uh, everything they're lacking from a roster construction standpoint, the mix not being right, I have all the time in the world about to discuss all those things. You know, I think they need a lot of changes. A lot of stuff has to turn over. But I just cannot get over how poorly this group is underachieving and how they're playing hockey games, and the types of teams they're losing to. I mean, their schedule hasn't even been hard yet. Yeah, they played a lot of road games already, but they haven't really played the who's who of the National Hockey League really yet either. I mean, you, you want a tough schedule, wait wait, what happens later this month. Wait what happens in December. Yeah. Just wait for it. And these are the teams the Canucks are playing like this against. Like, 
this is so far beyond unacceptable as far as how these guys are performing from a professionalism level and from just a pride level. Like this is not this is not a standard anybody can uphold. And I have zero time, absolutely zero time for people trying to excuse these performances because they're simply not good enough. That's BS. That's complete BS. I've seen I've seen teams with less talent. I've seen teams with worse cost, roster construction put in better efforts than these guys have been putting in. Well, we talked about this yesterday. When we were talking about this game against Montreal, we look at that roster and say, okay, maybe not the most skilled, but what have we heard about this team? They play hard. They'll play hard for 60 minutes. It's exactly what you got tonight. Now, the Jack Rathbone mistakes, he's a young player. He's making mistakes in that game. There's a giveaway. There's a, you know, yeah. a, a bad mm-hmm. read later on in that game. He's a young player, and to a certain extent, if you give him the ice time, there's going to be moments like that. But the Tanner Pearson penalty in the first 30 seconds of the game where your team is actually starting off really aggressive and in a good way, and you take that hooking call behind the net, that's a bad play by a veteran. JT Miller giving up the puck on the 3 nothing goal up the middle playing casually, that is a bad play by a veteran player. And also the Thatcher Demko, there's a couple of goals in tonight's game, especially that Suzuki one where... I, I do understand, you know, there's some complexities there with the with you know the PK and they're they're fragile, but that's another save that we've seen Thatcher Demko make. So I understand if they're young players making mistakes and you're saying, all right, into the deep end, growing pains. These are veterans making it. These are the guys that are supposed to be pulling you out of the quicksand. However, in tonight's game, these are the guys that got stuck in the quicksand. Well, and they're the guys that are supposed to be building this culture of accountability, right? The veterans who have been on long playoff runs. Tanner Pearson's won a Stanley Cup. They're supposed to be the guys teaching the younger players how to hold themselves accountable, how to be professional. And as you said, as you detailed there, we're not seeing that. Now, I know... Uh, earlier in the week, of course, when Jim Rutherford was on with Dan and Sat, he talked a lot about Bruce Boudreaux, but he also said, you know, potentially at the end of this road trip or at some point on this road trip, we're going to get to a point where we have to kind of get the players' attention, hold some players accountable. Now, I don't want to necessarily speculate about trades or whatever, but just at a lineup level, is, does Bruce Boudreaux have to take some sort of action, whether it's, you know, limiting somebody's minutes, a scratch to send a message, something to, you know, as Rutherford says, try to get the players' attention a little bit here? Yeah, prior to that injury, the one player I would have looked at is Tanner Pearson yeah. because I thought, you know, the last two games, uh, even that the penalty he ended up picking up a little bit later on in the game, which was the push in the back of Kovacevic, you know, uh, that was another offensive zone penalty. You can call it unlucky compared to the first one, but Tanner Pearson has not played well. And if you start looking at the last five games especially, this is a guy that when you talk about being accountable for your efforts and being accountable for your production, uh, if I were to look at any of the players in that lineup, I think Tanner Pearson is the player that I'd look at to send a bit of a message. Now, is that you know a hand injury that we saw earlier on in that game? That's why he didn't return for the third. But if, if I'm talking about, all right, how do you hold these guys accountable? Uh, the name that pops off you know the roster for me and the lineup for me is Tanner Pearson because I don't think he's been anywhere uh, as good as he needs to be, especially playing essentially on the top line for the Canucks. Yeah, and Randy, before we let you go here, let's spend a moment on um, Thatcher Demko and how he's playing. Mm-hmm. This is now 10 straight starts this season. He's allowed three or more goals. And hey, hey sometimes goals against isn't the only barometer, but the save percentage is even uglier. 
You know, yep. like it, it's not great. And a couple of goals tonight kind of goes through him again. And we talked to Kevin Woodley about his game. And, you know, the good news, Kevin pointed out, is that, you know, he doesn't look like he's hampered uh, physically. He doesn't look like he's lost any quickness. Uh, technically, there seems to be a lot of stuff there. What you're seeing, however, is a little bit of hesitation. You're seeing him be unsure. The confidence clearly isn't there. His reads are not there. Like, he is really battling it right now. It was very obvious tonight. Yeah, and this was a, a tough one because I think you look at that first goal right off the bat, the first shot of the game, and Nick Suzuki scores that goal, credit to him, but that's one Demko generally has. And even after that, the second goal, you know, I think Sean Monaghan does a good job of winning that faceoff, going to the front of the net, and Tanner Pearson gets a tip on that, unfortunately goes into his own net. But you can talk about a, a goalie that is nowhere near as confident as we've, as we've seen him in the past, and then you get beat by those first two goals. The first one's on you. The second one, you can say it's unlucky. But that's kind of been Thatcher Demko this year where, you know, he's playing, he's getting the same type of essentially help that he got last year, which was not much. It's the same type of, you know, shots that he's seeing from the same areas. But last year he was elite. This year he is nowhere near that. So, you know, you feel for him coming back from injury. But at the same time, this was a team that was dependent on their goalie for wins. They need a goalie to give them confidence right now because, as we've seen, they don't have very much confidence. And unfortunately for them, neither does he. So, you know, Spencer Martin is the more confident goalie right now, but your franchise goalie is Thatcher Demko. He's going to have to to figure this out. they got a back-to-back coming up with Toronto and Boston. It doesn't really matter which game Spencer Martin gets. It's going to be a tough one either way. But you got to work through this because he's going to be key if they want to get back into this conversation and they want to start beating some good teams, which they're going to have to do with Toronto, Boston, Buffalo coming up here in the next little bit. Yeah, and that's the big thing here. I mean, what are you going to able? What, what are you able to do? I mean, we know a change isn't exactly happening right now. And before we let you go here, Randy, I mean, this road trip, and not until it's over, until it's very obvious that you know they're not going to have a successful one. I think that's maybe a breaking point here, but. Like, how do we view this weekend? Because, like, I, I don't know how much faith anybody has that this team's going to be able to step up and, and and do what it takes against Toronto on Saturday. And, yeah, they struggled and scuffled this year. But, hey, Montreal has been struggling. Ottawa has been struggling. And it's not like the yep. Canucks had an easy time against those teams. So what can we really expect this weekend? Yeah, listen, Toronto's a weird team because they lose to some bad teams. And then they beat some really good teams. Last week, they beat Boston. They followed that up with a, a beating Carolina. And, and I know they lost to Vegas in overtime, so they do bring it. Uh, now, the question is, which Toronto Maple Leafs are you getting? And Boston, arguably the best team in hockey right now, where three lines hit you one after the other. So the question I'll have with the Canucks is, if your stars are playing well, you have a chance in those games. And I'm looking at JT Miller. I'm looking at Besser as that duo. Uh, I'm looking at... Pedersen and whoever he's playing with, depending on how the rest of the, this trip goes. And then Bo Horvat and Connor Garland as that duo on that third line. Now, are you able to compete with the top two lines on both of those teams? You have to win your matchups, or at the very least be neutral against Toronto and Boston. If you can't do that, it's going to be extremely difficult. You can't sit back and play against these teams in, in a bend-but-not-break system because Austin Matthews, he'll break you. Marshawn and Pasternak, they'll break you. So this team has to play confident in the next two games. Otherwise, it could get ugly. Yeah, it very well could. Randy, great stuff, though, my friend. And uh, it was nice to see NHL.com and the NHL Twitter account recognizing the history that you've made, my friend. You are the first South Asian broadcaster to be a color commentator for a National Hockey League broadcast. And it's good to see you getting the recognition for it. And we're very proud of the work you're doing, my man. 
Thank you very much. And uh, it's, it's a team game, boys, so I appreciate all the love and support and, uh, you know, just everybody along the way. And uh, we still keep on doing good work, man. So uh, thank you very much, that Appreciate it. Yeah, man. Just just don't get too high on yourself and keep the efforts nah, going, all right? <laughs> Thanks, Never. man. Never. Go- yeah, I know it, my friend. Thank you. That is Rand Deep. And, hey, I mean, the joke I was going to make is that, like, somebody made send in a text, and, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who, who texted him. We have a ton of texts coming in through Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox, and it's like, I think it was Lance and Mission. These guys, I've never seen a team that's been so undeserving of being arrogant. Mm. The arrogance these guys play with and the way they carry themselves with is like they've been there, done that, and had loads of playoff success. You guys haven't accomplished anything. You know, like you haven't accomplished anything. It, and that's the attitude you guys have? Like, come on. It, it feels, it, it seems like they think they can flip the switch midway through a game and be fine. Right, they they don't have to come out on top of things from the start of the game, and you see great teams that are able to do that sometime, like in in different sports. Right, you know, a really good team in the NFL can kind of sleepwalk through the first half if they're playing an inferior opponent, but then they know they're good enough. They know what they have to do in the second half to still win. This isn't that team. They obviously are not that good that they are able to do that, and yet we see these types of performances over and over again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of reaction on text inbox, 650-650. Uh, Fernando, when guys can't get the puck out of their own and quickly it puts pressure on everyone, maybe you guys start sitting people even if it's your stars. And it's a fair question. And the thing, the problem here is it's so much us against the world now because mm. of Boudreaux and the group, because everybody's on them, even management and everything like that. It's, it's hard for the coach to also be the bad guy now. It, it, it's a tough spot they're in, you know. There, there aren't that many answers you can find here, and I feel for the coach. And I'm here for the criticism for some of the stuff that Boudreaux wears and all that sort of stuff, because nobody's without blame. But, but it seems wholly unfair for him to be the fall guy when this group, like Silver and Black, Black Canuck, texts and he's, he doesn't understand how these are the same things we're seeing with a different coach. They change a few role players, but no real change to the core. What is it with this group? that this continues to happen? Why do they have this level of unearned arrogance? It's baffling. And it's it's the same question we've been asking now going back to last season. And you're right. It's a good point about yeah. Boudreaux kind of, if there's any way out of this, it's going to be, you would think, with the team rallying around Boudreaux, rallying around him as kind of a coach under siege. If he starts to, uh, you know, if he starts to scratch veterans, punish veterans, things like yeah. that, okay, then that even that's in jeopardy. But at the same time, can you really just keep rolling everyone out there if they're going to play like that? If that's the effort level they're going to give, if those well, are the performances, I don't know how you do that either. It's it's fair. It's fair. Uh, this one says you guys, what you guys are saying, awful. It's sick commentary. I hope Canucks management hears you and boycotts you for interviews. Uh, if you think we're being critical, listen to what Jim Rutherford had to say on our show on Monday. Just listen to what he had to say about a lack of accountability. He laid into the team and he laid into the head coach and the system of the team. If you think we're being critical, this is the president of the team laying fire to their guys and even talked about last year their success being just based on goalie, played too yeah. loose. If you think we're being critical, believe me. Trust me. The president is, is, is more unhappy with this than I am and you are or anybody else is. And we're, I'm not pulling the idea of the team doing something to kind of shock the players and get their attention out of thin air. That's direct. Yeah. Direct from Jim Rutherford who said, based on the result of this road trip, we're going to have to start considering something like that. And he mentioned accountability. These and, guys are not accountable And enough. these are the exact type of performances that would provoke the team to actually doing something like that. To looking at it and saying, all right, I was right. We do need to do something. 
to wake these guys up and start holding them accountable. No, absolutely. Uh, you want to grab a phone line, you can. 604-280-0650 or toll-free. 1-888-275-0650. Saskatchewan Joe says, Was this more disappointing than Ottawa? The only reason the Canucks won is the Senators not capitalizing. This team is fundamentally broken. And definitely... The Canucks didn't, uh, the Sens couldn't put the Canucks away, that's for sure. I don't think this was necessarily a worse performance than Ottawa, but it was more disappointing because you never have that sensation where you screw something up, but for whatever reason, just pure good luck, it doesn't bite you like it could. And you always have that sensation of, okay, I've got a second chance. You know what I mean? I, I messed that up, but through pure luck i got a chance i got a do over here i can make it so i'm not going to have to face the consequences of messing up the canucks had a do over tonight yeah. right they lucked out in ottawa right they should have been down way more spencer martin keeps them in the game they win the third period cuz ottawa couldn't put them away okay you've got a clean slate you got a, f- a fresh chance a fresh start on this road trip yeah. and you blow it mm-hmm. so that it's more disappointing for me yeah absolutely I mean, it really is. Since the Canucks don't want to be paying the third coach, maybe they should bring back Green as he's still under contract, is what one text is saying. I'm not sure that's going to do the trick. Uh, and, I mean... Uh, this bring text... him in for a couple of weeks, then fire him and bring Boudreaux back. <laughs> Get the Boudreaux bump going again. <laughs> Get it going again. Maybe, maybe why not? Uh, this one says, relax, man. Look at all the other top teams that have the same amount of points. Number one, I can't th- you can't refer to the Canucks as no. a top team, a team that hasn't made the playoffs in three years. Uh, and as far as top teams underperforming, yeah, you know, Calgary is, is 500, but they've played two fewer games than you have. So technically, you could be as many as five points behind Calgary. So yeah, you want to look at Nashville? Yeah, they have 11 points in 13 games. Great. You know, a team that barely got into the playoffs last year after a bad start. Yeah, the Blues have struggled. They have six points in 11 games. Minnesota, 11 and 12. Yeah, they're good hockey teams that haven't found a way to get through it. The Canucks' goal differential is not very good. But also the flip side of that is Seattle has played really well to start the year. Winnipeg has played really well to start the year. Dallas has played really well. Really well. LA has been pretty good. Not incredible, but pretty good, right? So, yeah, there are other teams in the Western Conference struggling, but a lot of the teams that you thought you were going to be in a battle with, either in the Pacific Division or for a wild card spot, are already racking up really big gaps on you in the standings. So, yes, of course other teams are struggling. Of course they are. How is that a defense? They're supposed How is that a defense of the Canucks? Oh, yeah, other teams are struggling too. Yeah, other teams are always going to struggle. There's always going to be teams going through a rough patch. It doesn't let this team off the hook. No, it doesn't. I'm, I'm so, like, it's... And look at their process, too. Look at the amount of leads they've blown, and look at the last few games. They've been getting outplayed. Like, the last two games have been heavily outplayed. 100%. And they're not good hockey teams they're facing. Like, there's nothing good about the process right now either. Uh, all right, we're getting back to more of your reaction. We'll hear from head coach Bruce Boudreau after a 5-2 loss in Montreal against the Habs. It's Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd, and it is the Canucks Central Postgame Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Pearson after Savard on the forecheck. Played it behind the net for Caden Gould. He'll pass it up the left wing for Caulfield. Across the Vancouver line trying to sit on the heat. Broken up by Miller, but he lost the puck and they score! As Miller's clearing attempt bounces off Kirby Dock, finds its way past Thatcher Demko, and it's 3-0 Habs with 7.37 left in the first. 
And a bad first period gets worse for the Vancouver Canucks as JT Miller comes back for the back check. He makes a good play defensively, but what happens after that? A casual play up the middle falls right to Kirby Dock. And really, Thatcher Demko has no chance of this. It's a... Canucks didn't feel like they had much of a chance despite the fact to score two goals in the four, third period, lose 5-2 in Montreal against the Habs. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. Phone boards are open and you can get your thoughts into our text inbox 650-650. We are going to hear from head coach Bruce Boudreaux who will be uh, ready for us momentarily. Uh, but before we do that, Jamie, let's get a couple text messages in before we hit the phone boards. A lot coming in here. Uh, uh, this one says Gary Maple Ridge trade needs mm. to be trade needs to be made to wake these guys up a major shakeup. Yeah, you, there's no shortage, no shortage of that sentiment coming in, and it's, I mean, it's hard to argue, right? That yeah. something needs to give, and like I don't think we're gonna. It's so hard to make trades. We've all heard that yada 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 with the cap and everything. I get that, so I don't think we're going to see that tomorrow or anything yeah. like that. But how can you? I don't know how you can look at it and say that you don't. There doesn't need to be some sort of shake. There has to be. The question is, when can you do that? And I mentioned this on the show today when there was some buzz around the Sens and the Canucks. And I said, hey, my understanding is nothing is really imminent on the Canucks in terms of a move. And as far as the Sens are concerned, as far as I know, I'm not expecting anything right now. Mm -hmm. And who knows what happens the next few days as the Canucks get closer and closer to hitting that breaking point. But there's a sense, or there was a sense at least within the organization, that they're kind of stuck in this current situation and have to wait a little bit. For time to pass a bit, for the markets to, to develop, and for them to be out of such a negative bargaining position because everybody knows they're up against it and how much they're underachieving and nobody's throwing them lifelines right now. And there's not enough money being opened around the league. You're closer to deadline, some cap space opens up. There are some long-term injury situations. But, but generally, they're kind of stuck. They don't want to fire the coach right now either. That's why you heard Rutherford get after the team. Lob the grenade into the room to see how these guys respond because I think it was a bit of an admission, Jamie, that... We don't have many other options. They're not playing well. These guys aren't coming out of it. I don't want to fire the coach. We can't really make trades right now. What's the best thing I can do is put these guys' feet to the fire and see how they respond. And so far, the response has been substandard. It's been flat. It's been the response of a team that doesn't believe, right? That Like, the response you would want to see is when you challenge a team like that, for them to at least show you, you know what? We think we can rescue this season. We think... We can be a winning team. We think we can show you that we have all those details and that professionalism, and we're going to go out and prove you wrong. And when you don't see that, the conclusion you're going to draw, or at least you have to start thinking about, is maybe the team just maybe you're not seeing it because the team doesn't believe that. Maybe they internally don't believe that they're going to be able to turn things around. And look, I I don't know. I can't get in their heads. But if you're just basing it on how they've responded in this situation in the last two games. That's, start, that's what it starts to look like. No, it really is. All right, before we get to more reaction and we go to the phone boards, here is head coach Bruce Boudreau after disappointing performance in Montreal tonight. The word is, but you guys had a third period to build off last night and to come out and kind of have a first 40 that resembled last night. Well, I mean, well, the, the first period wasn't obviously very good. When you get behind 3 nothing, it's a, it's a tough road to hold and you've got to do some different things. But, um, yeah, I mean... Uh, if you're looking for positives, I mean, they never quit. I mean, you know, if we don't hit the post in, in the power play, then all of a sudden it's 4-3, to three and it's who knows. How much does JT's turnover hurt in that circumstance? How about the speed? I mean, 
near that time, and we've, we've seen this a few times this year. Well, yeah, all turnovers hurt, like especially when they end up in the back of your net, whether it's JT, whether it's Bo, Petey, all of them. That, you know, you can't make that play, but there was an awful lot of other plays that we shouldn't have made either. Thatcher's trying to find his game to three goals on, on ten shots. Was there any thought of taking him out after the first period, or was it he's got to find his game? I got to keep him in there. He's got to fight through these things. I mean, if if you just keep making it easy, then all of a sudden you don't fight through. I mean, any of the good goaltenders that I've had, they want to stay in there. They want to find it. And I thought at the beginning of the second, he made a couple of good saves. I thought it was going to be there, but then still, you know, things leak through. Well, the opposition and the score probably had something to do with it. But does it make you wonder as a coach why your team can have a third period like that? Have that in the first yeah, we've had first periods like that, and we've blown it in the third. So I mean, I, I mean, if I could predict uh, predict these things, uh, I'd be you know a lot smarter than I am right now. But I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, the third period probably they let up a little bit. And we we came on a bit in the first period in Nashville. We were great, but we let up in the second period. They came on a little bit. So it's uh, I mean that that's not new to hockey. And, you know, that's that's the way it goes. I wish it didn't. You wish you could keep your foot on the gas for 60 minutes all the time. And that's the goal. But, I mean, uh, um, sometimes when it doesn't happen, that's what you question. How frustrating is it to see the types of mistakes, whether it's the offensive zone penalties or, or the giveaways? Those are, those are frustrating. I mean, the giveaways, the not being able to handle the puck on a pass in the, uh, in the neutral zone, you know, letting pucks bounce over your stick when you got them I mean uh, those are killers and you know us along with other teams we all got our fair share of them Is it more frustrating when it's your veterans who are doing it I mean Tanner took two needless penalties today Yeah they were up to eight already. Well yeah and uh, uh, that's uh, that's not good and that'll be addressed tonight and tomorrow and uh so it's, uh, uh, you know, that, that should never happen to anybody, let alone a guy that's won two cups and knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Any update on his status? Uh, he'll be out, you know, I mean, it's at least day-to-day right now from what I gather, but I don't know how severe it is. Joshua, was that a coach's decision? Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Hoaglander? It looked like you were playing a little bit more as the game went on. Well, you know, he's got he had fresh legs. Um, and he can skate. Sometimes you, you you push him to see if, you know, just like the goalie, you push him to see if he can get out of what he's going through. And, uh, uh, and you know, I thought in the third period he, he was quite effective. He got a goal. Maybe that'll turn the corner for him. I think Rathbone is, you know, I don't know if the term trying too hard applies, but he, he's obviously trying hard because he's getting a chance to play. Do you think it's... He's getting in his own way a little bit. Well, I think he makes rookie mistakes. You know, like, I mean, uh, there's, there's times that he does. He wants to do great, like every player out there. But sometimes you try too hard to be perfect, and, and then the perfect thing doesn't happen. Bruce, it feels sometimes like we're watching two teams, oftentimes in the same game. How do you explain how your team can go from looking one way in the first half to completely different in the second half and do it back-to-back nights at if I could bottle it up and find out, I would, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. 
I mean, they did the same thing uh, last year. No matter how you you push it, and you just never know which period's going to be good and which period's going to be bad. But I mean, for this team to go anywhere, they've got to be consistent. And we haven't had a game yet where we've allowed less than three goals, except for the Pittsburgh game. So, uh, unless you start defending, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's not going to happen. Bruce, you've been around for a long time. You're in the middle of a long trip. What is the toughest for a coach in this situation right now? Well, the the toughest is is, is get ready to have a good practice and then go into Toronto. I mean, uh, uh, so far I would be looking at it. We're 500 on the road of a long trip. Let's make sure that you get a, you get ahead of it the next game and, and the same mistakes that dogged you today don't happen to on Friday or Saturday whenever we play again. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Hold on to your phone lines. We're going to get to you coming up in a second. We'll get to the text inbox as well here. It's kind of like we mentioned, like I thought he would say, sure, he'll have some critique and, hey, he wishes he knew um, why they were good in one half of the game mm-hmm. but not the other and they can bottle all that sort of stuff up. And, you know, he was somewhat critical of of their details and everything, but he stopped short of really burying the team. And if anything, he really lauded the fact they don't give up. But I think he's in a position that... He Listen, did, Seb, but even the don't give up comment, he he started it by saying, well, if you're looking for positives. Yeah, like, fair enough. You know what I mean? He wasn't saying that's what he's taking away. No, he was kind of saying... But I think that's the message he's trying to send. Yeah, I don't but think he's willing I, to go out that, there yet. It wasn't, that wasn't, you know, fire and brimstone, no. and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear the paint, strip the paint off the walls, yelling at the team. But there was some pretty pointed criticism there, too. Yeah. So, I mean, what he had to say about Tanner Pearson, right? They, somebody asked about the penalties and says, yeah, that'll be addressed. That's a guy who's won two cups. He knows yeah. he shouldn't be doing that. Um, and the other part, at the, towards the end there, where he's just saying, you know, about the, how the team can look so different in the first two periods and then versus the third period on back-to-back nights. And he said, yeah, well, that's how it was last year, too. Yeah. I wish I knew. I've tried all these different things. Yeah. You never know which period is going to be good. There's no consistency. Like, for based on the standard we've seen from Bruce Boudreaux, Sounds pretty frustrated. Sounds pretty, pretty frustrated with this team no, right now. I know. I've heard him be tougher on the team, and this is a game that probably deserved him going off on them. Yeah. I don't think he could. He didn't. No, and he didn't. I don't think he can. You know, with with everything going on, it's literally them against the world. And right now, Bruce has to walk that tightrope of being tough on them, but also showing them that he has their back at the very least. He he more just sounds exasperated than, <laughs> That's a good word than angry. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's not angry. It's the classic thing, right? I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, or that's just kind ex- of how he sounds. I'm, even, right? I'm just exasperated. Yeah, I'm just exhausted. I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Yeah. That's that's kind of how he sounds there. Yeah, it really is bewildering. All right, let's go to the phone board. I know people have been waiting patiently to get on here, and we'll start off in Coquitlam where we have Paul on the line. Paul, thanks for hanging in. Uh, but what is on your mind here tonight? Hey, hey guys. So um, I remember being a very frustrated Canucks fan back in the mid-80s, and uh, the team is kind of similar to now. Like, those teams back then had a lot of talent. You had, you know, Gradine, Sundstrom, Tanty, guys like that. But year after year, it was just mediocrity. And the big difference between now and then is back then, you'd go to Pacific Coliseum, and there'd be six, 7,000 fans. The entire, like, upper section of Pacific Coliseum would often be pretty much empty. And these days, I mean, this team could go 0-82, and the fans in the city are just sheeple. I mean, they will just go to that 
go to the game. It'll sell out almost every game. People will pay 17 bucks for a beer, 12 bucks for a hot dog, whatever it is. And I mean, what's going to motivate the Aquilinis to do anything meaningful to, to make this team better in the long run? Because if people just keep shelling out their hard-earned money for mediocrity like this, it's like, you know, you go to Taco Bell and you get diarrhea, right? You're going to think twice about going to Taco Bell again. If it keeps happening, Not my experience. <laughs> well, if it yeah. keeps happening time and time and time again, eventually you stop going to Taco Bell. Yeah, I, I get right? you. Yeah, I got you. Hey, Paul, thanks for the phone call. Pre- appreciate your thoughts. And I get what he's trying to say here, right? I don't know. I had some McDonald's tonight, so I haven't learned that lesson. You know you haven't. <laughs> I hey, keep listen. going. I keep going back for more. I am not. I am not above having some fast <laughs> no, food every once in a while, no. as people know. Um, but I, I get the point that he's trying to make. But at the same time, like I can't fault people for wanting to go watch National Hockey League games, for wanting to go have a good time at the rink. It's it's it's, it's the Canadian pastime to go and watch hockey, and it's fun being at the rink again. I know this year hasn't been fun. Last year was a lot of fun. I mean, I, I understand what he's saying, and and ultimately, you know, money does talk, right? Like I, I get that point overall, but. Uh, the reason why people show up to go watch games is because they love hockey. They want to go yeah. out and have a good time at the rink and, and watch talented hockey players come in and enjoy themselves. I think that's what it's about more than anything else. And I I know, you know, you see fans on social media, right? And the, the idea of trying to start like, hey, we should all like, band together and not spend money on the team and not go to games. As you said, there's too much like people. The fan base is too passionate for that. People love hockey. Yeah. And they'll love the Canucks here too much for that to really take off. And I, the only thing I'll say is that. Probably at a certain point, it gets to there organically, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if if this goes on and on and on year after year like this, then you probably get to that point uh, where attendance starts to suffer anyway. When people say pe- uh, because people are stupid, don't sugarcoat it. No, I, I don't. I know people, people, especially people that have, but they want to go out and enjoy a hockey game. They want to go yeah. see a game and enjoy a game. Now, you want to listen? I have no time for calling out people generally for wanting to go watch a hockey game. You know, like, wh- and, why would you why would you call somebody out for spending? It's like spending money to go watch a movie because you don't like the director or whatever it is. Like that stuff to me is whatever. But you, you also you, just, you want to make a sta- make a statement, but I, I can't call people stupid for wanting to go to watch a National Hockey League game. Well, and that's the thing. You just also have to think about not everyone is first of all lucky enough to be able to go to lots of games, right? Like you hear stories all the time about there's somebody coming in mm-hmm. from out of town or just you know, who hasn't been able to go to a game in years and years. You think about people taking their kids. You know what I mean? What do you do? What are you going to do? You have a seven-year-old kid who's obsessed with hockey, he wants to go loves Peterson, the Canucks. You're going to say, no, 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 sorry. I can't support this ownership group. Like, come on. And some people want to do that. Go ahead. Power to you. Listen, you get to choose how you want to spend your disposable income and your money, right? And people can do whatever they want with it. A, a lot of reaction on the text inbox. We get to the A lot of Taco boards. Bell talk. Yeah. I mean, hey, look, I haven't had Taco Bell in a while. I was thinking about it the other day. Uh, Pardeep texts in and says, you guys have been great. Right down the middle with discussing Canucks. Uh, much appreciated, too. Do you guys cringe anytime the puck goes from the half board to the point? None of our demons seem capable of taking a pass, even with no pressure being present. And three, Buffalo Health, health Bomb, Jeff Skinner, for many games in a row it didn't matter how much he was making or the fact he was a lesser player was going to play rather than Skinner it's time for Bruce to bench Pearson OEL or even JT for a careless and repeated mistake and hey that's a good point about Jeff Skinner they had to bench him and he's been back to being better maybe not worth the money he's getting paid but he's back to being a goal scoring winger again yep it can it can work sometimes sometimes you got to consider those things and I don't know that there's any one I don't know if there's one kind of magic lineup decision that's going to radically change how this team looks on a night-to-night basis and change the process for this team, 
But I also think the longer that we see performances like this, the more you have to be willing to consider anything, right? The more you have to be willing to say, well, I don't know if this is going to fix it, but we got to try something here. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, a lot of good texts coming in this one. I know uh, things are getting negative in this market, but can we please leave Taco Bell out of it? <laughs> <laughs> Don't drag Taco Bell's good name into the mud. Uh, uh, Mike, the urologist from Brockville. I, uh, Brockville, I went to the game last night and I thought the big picture. I'm frustrated and angry about this team, but that third in a vacuum was fun to watch. To be able to jump up when a goal is scored is always fun. It is. I mean, it, that's the thing. People like going to games, watching a hockey game, and cheering on their team to score mm-hmm. goals and win. And I get it. You know, sometimes... Some of those fans just want to watch the game. They don't always think about, hey, you got to rebuild and everything. They want to go and watch an entertaining hockey game. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. There's no. nothing wrong with being a paying customer and wanting to go to a National Hockey League game to watch your favorite team win that night. And this there's one, nothing wrong with wanting I know, that. This one comes in and says, I think this is a great point as well. People yeah. may not be going for the Canucks. I'm happy that my five-year-old can now say that he saw Crosby play. That's a great point. That's a great point. It's still, as you said, a National Hockey League product, right? Yeah. You still, even when the Canucks lose, how often does Elias Pettersson do something jaw-dropping, do something really, really impressive, mm-hmm. right? So there are still always going to be those reasons that, like, again, there's a reason people love hockey in the Canucks in this market. They're, yeah. they're going to want to go to games. Raj in Calgary. Man, I love watching hockey live. I flew to Van last Thursday for from Calgary only for BX tonight. Thank God it was a good game, and I hope this team turns turns it around, but it's going to take some major changes. That's Raj in Calgary. All right, let's go back I, to the... Uh, well, well, just the last point I was going to say. We, you know, we just yeah. saw a team in one of the only markets in the NHL that is more passionate and more devoted than mm-hmm. our, I would say Vancouver, and that's Montreal. Yes. Arguably the bo- best, most passionate fans, biggest fan base in the NHL. They're going through a rebuild, and yeah. it didn't take this. It didn't take this organized like fans never stopped going to games at the Bell Center, right? You can get to a point where your team makes different decisions without that sort of fan action yeah exactly right and and that's one of those things and we'll see where this organization goes with it let's go back to the phone boards and let's go to gibson's when we have bob on the line bob thanks for calling in what are your thoughts tonight uh hey guys uh thanks for having me on so you know i'm a young canucks fan i'm what, like 16 and i've been a fan since i was nine or eight or something and the last time i saw the canucks have success success was in in um in 2015 versus the Flames, and they didn't even have success. They just made the playoffs. Like, I'm tired of it. I've never had a joyful moment except the bubble, but that's kind of like doesn't count. But I've never had a joyful moment with the Canucks, and I'm just tired of it. Like, it's just this mediocrity. And if we continue, and if management doesn't do something drastic, then we're just gonna keep. I'm just gonna have to keep like living with this mediocrity. And like, none of my friends. We've never seen the Canucks in the playoffs. We've never had something to cheer for. And yeah, I'm just tired of it. Thanks yeah. a lot, guys. Hey, Bob, thanks for the phone call. I mean, I, I get it, right? I mean, you know, the highlight of being a Canucks fan over the past seven years was going to Calgary for that first round series where they lost, mm-hmm. where they were the favorite team with home, advan- home ice advantage that year. That was 2015. And the next time they made the playoffs was in 2020 during the pandemic in the bubble in Edmonton, where no fans were allowed to go in the building. The only current Canuck who fans have seen play a playoff game on home ice is Bo Horvath. Mm-hmm. Canucks fans have only seen one player on this roster, one player on this roster, ever play a home home playoff game. And that was in 2015. It's not I good. I get Bob's point. I get Bob's point. And I think when you look at 
how big and passionate the fan base is now. Are you laughing at, oh my gosh, this oh, poor kid? Guy, I know people I, are just, oh no. <laughs> what have you got yourself why, into, Bob? Why did he do this? But when you think about from <laughs> starting with the run in 1994, oh, and I know yeah. for people like my age, that's a huge reason why I became a Canucks fan. Like, this is the reason why I became a Canucks fan growing up yeah. and a major hockey fan. Then even, you know, you had the West Coast Express. Okay, they don't make it that far in the playoffs, but some really exciting teams. Then obviously the Sedin era. Those are the kinds of things that make lifelong fans, right? And I think, you know, as much as we're talking about fan support and how deep it is here, if you go, like, 15 years Mm -hmm. between having legitimate, really good teams, 20 years, that's going to take a toll on your fan base. And, you know, that 2015 team, the thing was, it wasn't even that good. (laughs) Like, they made the playoffs. They bow out in the first round. Yeah, they were the three seed, but it wasn't like anyone was picking them to win the Stanley Cup that year at the start of the playoffs. It's been a while since this team has had a, a legit like really exciting, really good team for people to get invested in. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you see a 16-year-old can figure it out. That's one text about saying they need ma- massive changes. And yeah, it's clear. It's just a matter of when you can make those changes and how imminent they are. And they don't seem all that imminent right now with everything going on in the market. And there's a lot more coming in. Too, a, lot of, a lot of sympathy for Bob. <laughs> this kid's 16. He's endured a lot. <laughs> This <laughs> settle in Bob could be a whole lot of tacos before you get some good Canucks feels. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> and like and this was an LOL, this kid is tired of it. He should get used to being a Canucks fan like us lifers. So yeah, you're, you're fitting right in there, Bob. Fitting right in. <laughs> this last one. That last caller was super depressing to hear. <laughs> Uh, D- Dave says, sorry, 16-year-old. I've been a Canucks fan since 1970. You don't know what pain is. Uh Steve I feel band. like you know the scene in uh, <laughs> in Goodfellas where he gets he gets pinched right, and then he's walking out of the courtroom and everyone's there celebrating. That's yeah. like all the old Canucks uh, fans welcoming Bob <laughs> into the fellowship of misery right here. The fellowship like, of misery, hey, hey Bob, <laughs> the fellowship of misery. That is tremendous, uh, Steve from Van. Thanks for your call, Bob. Seven years, try fifty-two, son. So yeah, a lot of that. Uh, having fun with it. All right, uh, thanks for everybody texting in. Uh, we'll get to more of your text messages and we'll get to more of your phone calls as well and we hear from Canucks players after a six well five two loss in Montreal against the Habs it's Sat and it is Jamie and this is the Canucks under post game show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet radio network back to more Canucks central post game show coverage this is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet radio network it comes free for Dvorak left wing back to Kovacevic behind the net he rims it around to the left point. Jack Rathbone couldn't hold in. Lost the pocket to two-on-one for the Canadians. Mike Hoffman down the left wing. Shoots. He scores! A clean shot from Mike Hoffman beats Thatcher Demko. Sticks side and the Habs lead 4 to nothing. If I could bottle it up and find out, I would, uh, you know, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. I mean, they did the same thing. Uh, last year, no matter how you you push it, and you just never know which period's going to be good and which period's going to be bad. But I mean, for this team to go anywhere, they've got to be consistent. And we haven't had a game yet where we've allowed less than three goals, except for the Pittsburgh game. So, uh, unless you start defending, I mean, it's uh, uh, it's not going to happen. Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Talking about how the team shows the inconsistency they have displayed in parts of last year, this season as well. 
Jekyll and Hyde performances lose 5-2 in Montreal against the Habs. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shah with Jamie Dodd and God bless Bob who texted, yes. who called in earlier, uh, bringing smiles to our faces and, and a good laugh. But we needed it, man. Like Sometimes you don't know what type of hero you need to yes. emerge. And Bob was the hero tonight, man, because uh, he's got our text, text inbox, Dunbar Lumber buzzing, 650-650. And this text here says, can I get access to read the Dunbar Lumber text <laughs> inbox? LOL. And maybe we should set up. It's pretty great sometimes, it to is. be honest. Now, sometimes it's very much X-rated, and a lot of stuff yes. you can't say publicly or whatever. Publicly or whatever. But maybe we should have like um, a a parental advisory access to it. Maybe call it six fifty blue for subscription, just like Twitter or whatever it is. If you if you're a verified listener, you can get access to our text. You inbox. get a little check mark in the inbox, and yeah. you can see you can, you can see, see what's going on. Bizarre. Yeah, you got to be or worse. Certain age, at least, very interesting. some stuff that comes in is disturbing, <laughs> but but generally, it's a fun place to be, like tonight, man. And you know, Dan and Brentwood said, "Rebuild for Bob." Hashtag Rebuild for Bob. A great one from Dan and Brentwood. I like this one as well from Tyler. Just sixteen-year-old Bob, even know the disappointment of Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell at two a.m. Disappointment. That's a different type of disappointment. Uh, Bob, I've been miserable since 1999. That's Pawan texting. I love this one uh, as well from Mike, the urologist from Brockville. He says, Bob is so much worse off than all those those old dudes, though. We got to see Pavel Bure score a Game 7 winner. We never saw them win at all, but I have tons of hockey joy watching the Canucks. Bob literally referenced one of the most forgettable Canucks seasons as his highlight. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It illustrates how terrible the current era is. It's tough, man. It's tough. Michelle says, our fellowship of misery is strong and united. Uh, Oh, LOL, that got me good. So good. Thank goodness Bob called in. That is Michelle. Totally shared those sentiments here on the text inbox, uh, 650-650. Someone give Bob a sloppy taco to bury his face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Terrific. Absolutely terrific. Um, We had somebody else texting in and said, uh, I'm glad to hear you guys laugh. Uh, Laughing is very good. That's James Davidson from Oak Bay, BC. Yeah, it's fantastic. Thanks so much. And uh, um, we got a text from New Brunswick earlier. I'm sorry. We get so many texts. Like, I, I lose track yes, sometimes. Friday, Especially so on the post game show. Yeah, it fills like, up know, in a hurry. And, and I try to do my best to keep track. But he said, the worst part about this is this is I got to go see my physiotherapist tomorrow. And he's a Habs fan. like that's the type of pain oh Uh, we had another fan uh text in they were at the game in montreal and they said they're they're riding home on the metro and all the habs fans are singing ole 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 and they're uh, they're stuck there in their canucks jersey i mean credit for you for you know repping the team and and sticking it out but that's always a tough one to be the the road fan when your team loses is tough and i will say you know to be somewhat serious for a second this text I, i thought nailed it for a moment west coast express was crucified for never making it past the second round this team would be in the ring of honor if it made it that far standards change and it's true because like you know we get texts like you guys are too hard on the team yada yada someone texted in and said if if media was more supportive during the losing streak maybe the canucks would get out of it and i'm just like okay sure like you can have that take if you want but this is not success no this and is not a standard of success and like, again they're right that west coast express team people were furious that they didn't do more than they did the bar were judging this team on is making the playoffs, yeah. right? Because that's the standard they've set for themselves. But when you actually step back and think about it, that's a very low standard. Half the teams in the league, yeah, half the teams in the league make the playoffs. It's not actually all that impressive. Yeah. That's what we're judging them on because that's the goal they've set for themselves. But the texture's right. Like, 
it's not as if you, oh, wow, you make the playoffs. What a successful season. That's just step one. That's just step one. That's, that's just, but he, you mean this team has to start making the playoffs first before they start building towards that. So that's kind of the bar that you're at. But, you know, when you haven't had success for a decade, that's the bar changes, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for a long time, like somebody texted in and say, hey, at least we had 2011 in that era, you know, before this kind of darkness. Well, and think about, upon think about how team. much uh, criticism there was of the team in the first two losses to Chicago in the playoffs, right? Oh, in 09 yeah. and 10. Yeah. And again, that's second round. You know, you play really well. You win a playoff series. Along with the guy, you should trade him. Yeah. All sort of and stuff, it was right? still yeah. like, oh, my goodness, this team, what this is awful. And they've they. Before they even won the President's Trophy or anything, they were still so far ahead of where this team is right now. No, they really are. Uh, all right, well, let's go back to the phone words. Let's try to take another call or two here. You never know. Maybe we have another Bob on the line. Uh, let's go <laughs> uh, Let's go to North Van where Gary is on the line. Gary, thanks for calling in. What do you have for us tonight? Hey, <clears throat> great, great show there, Sat. You're, you're absolutely right. You're a very loyal Canucks fan. Uh, I'm just calling on, on behalf of just thinking that uh, you guys are always – or people are picking on Boudreaux. He's actually the, the gliding light of, of this Connect team. I think that it's a Rutherford that uh, should be held accountable for what he, what is he doing to upgrade our team. Um, he came halfway through last season where Boudreaux was, was leading a great rush of uh, getting the boys behind him. And Rutherford's brought in, I don't know, not really any type of talent. Uh, Kuzmenko came in, I think, more because of Boudreaux, not because of Rutherford. And the other thing, too, is if Rutherford had that much talent, why did Pittsburgh, you know, pull Burke off Sportsnet and get him to be the president and then promote Hextall as a GM? I think that uh, Rutherford's like a leftover. He's like old stew. We need a young, visionary guy that can maybe work with Boudreaux because Aquiline's got the money. You know, people can, can critique him and say, oh, he's, He's this or that, but quite frankly, he's he's doling out the money. He's paying, paid Miller a bunch of money, and hopefully we get some type of return out of him after eight years. But going forward, we need a young a young president, and I'm not you know not too young, but someone like Lyndon or someone that might know a little bit more on an architect of building a team and using Boudreaux like he's, he's 68. So maybe he's going to coach another two or three years. The guys like playing for him and sat you, you, you know, you're a little bit more in the inside about connection. You know that, you know, that they're, they're probably pulling all the strings they can for him, the lines. And he's only playing with guys that uh, he's given. And some of the guys like, you know, Stillman, was that a good acquisition? You know, yeah. Dickinson, Dickinson said uh, something on on WGBN in Chicago. They said, "What's the best thing about Vancouver?" And he said, "Leaving." You know, like he, he was a, a great player in Dallas, and he he could have been a good player here. He didn't he didn't work out. But to get Stillman for him and give up a draft choice, like we're going backwards. And I and I attribute that to Rutherford. He is going to de- He's going to be a detriment to the future of any type of rebuild of the city. And if he lets Horvath go for some trade, it'll be ridiculous. And someone's going to put a stop to him. And, and guys like you that are, are voice of the Canucks by voicing it to, to, to people out there, it's going to hopefully save some type of franchise that we can have going forward, but he'll decimate this club to no end. I say, 
Get rid of Rutherford before you get rid of anybody else. All right, I'll hey, sit back and listen. Thanks. Hey, thanks for the phone call, Gary. And you know, as far as just one thing about the Pittsburgh thing that happened, Pittsburgh wasn't so much him getting fired. It was about him. That he decided to leave yeah. the Pittsburgh situation, and then they went and hired um, uh, Brian Burke after that, of course. And as far as the one thing to keep in mind is Rutherford is the president. Alvin is the GM. And as much as Rutherford has taken a forward face a lot and talking a lot about his stuff, it does ultimately come down to Patrick Alvin and the moves that he makes. And so far, the moves they've made, they haven't paid off. They've made $100 million in future commitments on contracts that have not yet paid off. Now, I like Mikheyev. I think that he's a player that fits in. There's a lot of things I like about him. And with Miller, we'll see how that all kind of works out. But when you make that type of commitment and the trades that you've made, nothing's really hit yet, it's fair to look at things and say, hey, you know, w- w- what are you doing to help the situation? And ultimately, right now, the heat's on the players more than anything for me. Mm-hmm. It goes beyond Boudreaux. It's it's the same cast of characters we've seen here for a long time. The construction of the roster is not good. They have to change these things. And if these guys can't find answers, well, then that is a big problem. But also the reality is they've only been on the job for less than a full year. You know, you kind of have to let it play out a little bit here before we see how to truly evaluate these guys. I mean, we see management teams come in here and they get ripped right away and then they end up having some success. I remember when Gillis first came in, it wasn't exactly with a lot of ringing endorsements. And when he made some of the deals that he made, the Sunday move and all that sort of stuff, a lot of apprehension and criticism. And eventually the team started winning and having success. And it's like, okay, people buy in. And obviously it kind of fell off afterwards. Sometimes you got to let the plan play out a little bit to really see what these guys are doing. They say they're planning on doing more. They wanted to do more. Let's see if they're able to actually follow through. And with my, my thing with Rutherford, Rutherford and Elvin so far, it's not even so much that – I mean, yes, in an ideal world, they could have done more to reshape this team and, and bring in some new pieces and especially improve the blue line. But I also look at, as you said, less than a year on the job, I also feel like – if they had done a little less, you know what I mean? <laughs> they might be in a better position. Yeah, like, it's, it's don't fair. don't make the Stillman deal for Dickinson. I know I know part of that is salary cap, but maybe there are other the, ways yeah, the Stillman, you can explore. To be fair, the Stillman deal wasn't they weren't trying to acquire Stillman and they're trying the second, to get off Dickinson. They're trying to get rid of Dickinson's contract, but and that's what it cost. It's not so much that they haven't kind of reshaped the roster overnight. For me, that's that's the you know, my biggest issue with their their regime so far. It's more the Miller signing. You know, you can add the McKay of signing on that. Like the fact that, as you said, they they locked into a, a very large number of future salary uh, commitments, and that seems to have even further limited their flexibility that they have going forward. Now, having said that, I'm still very open to the idea that, as you said, they can turn things around. They can make some other moves that I like a lot more than that. It's way too early to say, like, oh, this is going to be a failure. Get yeah. these guys out of here way too early for that. But it hasn't been an encouraging start. And I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people are pointing out to. And people like Gary's call. Cheers, Gary. Thanks for letting Gary finish. And people asking, is that Don Taylor calling in? <laughs> it did sound a little bit like, like him. <laughs> I don't think it was on it. I Gary, don't think so. Hey, Gary has called in before. We appreciate Gary from North Van. He's one of our listeners. So I know that, that wasn't Donnie. All right. Uh, let's go back to the phone boards and let's go to New West where we have Sean on the line. Sean, thanks for calling in. Uh, thanks, Pat and Jamie. I appreciate what you guys do. I'm, I'm no Bob. Uh, I'm <laughs> Don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> you know, I, I've watched this team since 09 when they swept the Blues. So, you know, I, I at least got to see the cup run in 2011. So yeah. it's not like I haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. Nothing. Um, I'm not really going to talk about the game. Like, if I'm being honest, going into this year, I wasn't super thrilled with the fact that they uh, decided to run it back. 
and I get it because you know the the core's good, like the core's got good pieces. But I mean, we're kind of seeing it this year. This is, I think, the team that we get when goaltending doesn't bail us out uh, every game. Like last year, Thatcher Demko led the league in five on five save percentage. And now that he's not doing that, I think the team's getting exposed a lot more. And I don't know, man. Uh, the future, the future was looking so bright after the bubble, and uh, it's just crazy to see it go downhill so quick. Uh, yeah, that's all I gotta say. Thanks, guys. Hey, uh, thanks for the phone call. That's Sean in US calling in. And you know, if if you weren't enamored with them coming back with the same group. You're probably extra disappointed. You're like, I kind of. This I is what I. This was, is the worst case scenario. I was worried about. Right. You were worried that, about. Yeah, and you know they, they showed showed last year too in the beginning of the season how they were unprepared and they've done the exact same thing and they'll probably win enough hockey games to keep the group together that they have a respectable record above 500, but it's nowhere near good enough. And no. you know they're not a team that really deserved getting another shot at it again. And hey, based on what Rutherford said to us. They wanted to do more. They wanted to move more players off the roster and were unable to do so. And, well. And, and this text comes in. Uh, Mikheyev is one of like five players worth keeping on this team. Jamie, what are you talking about? I like Mikheyev as a player as a lot. My point is, instead of, if, if, the, if the plan over the summer and the course of action over the summer had been, you know what? We're deeply skeptical about this team, so we're not going to make any big salary commitments. We're going to keep our powder dry, keep our options available, and see what how it comes, right? And maybe that'll help us. We'll have more flexibility. Yeah. We'll have more ability to change the team on the fly. Signing Mikheyev prevents you from doing that. I like the player. I'm just not sure it was the right time to add him. Now, look, he's still relatively young. All that. We'll see. If they do get things turned around in a couple of years, maybe he could still be a part of a really good Canucks team. It's not so much about the player. It's more about the timing and what it does to the rest of your ability to improve the roster. Well, And that's the thing, right? And are you able to make the improvements that you're looking to do, yeah. right? And, and that's part of the uh, a big part of the issue. All right, we have time to ch- squeeze in one more phone call here. Let's go to Montreal, where we have JP on the line. JP, thanks for hanging on to the line. Uh, what do you have for us tonight? Hey, guys. Uh, first of all, I English my second language, so please be indulgent. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, long-time listener, love you guys. Um, I was at the game tonight. Um, I have to say that being in a Canucks jersey in a massive red is uh, hard, especially in a game like this. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I have to say that uh, as of tonight, I, I was kind of defending Bruce Boudreau a lot. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's uh, an amazing person. I, saw, I see him in the street. I go give him a hug right away. Uh, however, with uh, Jim Rutherford's comment about the team needing more structure and everything, the amount of missed passes and uh, of uh, shots either on the post or uh, on the side of the goal, I, I'm starting to believe that this might actually be an issue. But as one of the previous mm-hmm. callers also said, the team do actually need to do something about the roster because as Drensler once said in um, the Canucks talk, uh, even though they critiqued the team that Benning left, they still decided to double down on it. So I I feel like the team right now is in a situation where everyone has their part in it, uh, but there there has to be something done at some point because as of right now, the team is just basically going nowhere. It's not even a, we're going for a playoff or for a draft pick. It's, it's just we don't have any plan, so... 
All right. Thank you, guys. Hey, JP, thanks for the phone call. Thanks for hanging in there. And you know what? Power to you, man. I mean, braved it, goes into the sea of red with the Canucks jersey. Didn't work out well for him, but you got heart, kid. I, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, as far as where this year is going, I totally understand JP's sentiment about it feeling like a lost year. And, you know, to the structure thing, I made this point before, but this is the thing that, that also resonates with me here is you're trying to build an, an identity, a style of play, and what it is to be a Canuck, right? And what Canucks hockey looks like with at least a certain group of core players here. That's not being established at all in any which way this season. Sure, individuals are having good seasons. both scoring a bunch. Pedersen's having a good year so far. Guys are getting their points and doing all this sort of stuff. But they're not establishing anything. And if you're not making the playoffs, if you're not getting a high draft pick and you're kind of in the middle there, you're not establishing an identity, like what are you really accomplishing from yeah. a playing style and you know who you are standpoint? Well, and you know we've had this debate about going for the draft lottery versus trying to ma- remain competitive and meaningful games in March and all of that. You know this, that years and years and years in this city. And part of the the theory of not bottoming out is you don't want a losing culture to develop, right? Yeah. You don't want guys to, to be to be dogging it. You want them to mm-hmm. be going, going, playing hard and trying to do their all so that everyone, so you build that winning culture. And, yeah. Well, that hasn't happened. And you look at Montreal, a team that I don't think they're going to be in the Connor Bedard race, but... At the beginning of the year, if you had told them that, they would have said, sure, great. We'll be bottom five. No problem. They're playing hard. Brendan yeah. Gallagher's laying out blocking shots. He's mixing yeah. it up with the other team and drawing penalties. You can play hard even in dire circumstances, and this team just isn't doing it right now. No, they're not. They're not playing with enough desperation that you want to see. It's not at the level that you'd want to see. Now, on the other side, we'll try to get to more of your reaction. We are going to hear from Ian McIntyre, who will join us from Montreal, the scene of a 5-2 loss against the Habs by the Vancouver Canucks. And, you know, we'll keep breaking this one down. It is sat with Jamie right here on Sportsnet 650 on Canucks Central and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC. Only on the official home of the Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks head to Boston for a 3 o'clock game on Sunday as Patterson gets a shot off the right wing. Rebound, they score in front. Niels Hoaglander, top of the crease, has his first of the year. And it's 4-2 with more than 11 minutes remaining in regulation time. And Batch, this just got interesting. Niels Hoaglander doing the dirty work in front of the net. Well, you know, he's got he had fresh legs um, and he can skate. Sometimes you, you you push him to see if, you know, just like the goalie, you push him to see if he can get out of what he's going through. And, uh, uh, and you know, I thought in the third period he, he was quite effective. He got a goal. Maybe that'll turn the corner for him. Canucks lose 5-2 in Montreal against the Habs. A lot of commotion behind Bruce Boudreaux as he speaks. Yeah, sounds like someone's like peeling off in a Ferrari there or something <laughs> behind him. I don't know what piece of rink machinery that was. He's but... like driving out of town. <laughs> <laughs> that was I'm Jimmy Nalvin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm out. 
this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Jamie Dodd. Uh, we are going to connect with our good friend Ian McIntyre coming up in about eight, nine minutes time. But before we do that, we have time to dig into the Dunbar Lumber Text Inbox 650-650, which honestly, fantastic. The real MVPs of the show tonight have been the contributions from our callers, but obviously the Text Inbox, uh, which is fantastic. John in Canby Village says, being a Francophone Canucks fan in Montreal might be the hard, the hardest core thing I've heard in a while. Bravo, JP. Bon courage. So that is John in Canby Village. I, I very much enjoyed the JP. Um, he was obviously a little nervous about the fact that English is his second language, but then as he was telling us that, he dropped the word indulgence. Indulgence. I was like, I don't think great. you have anything to worry about, man. You're you're operating at a vocab level higher than me, so well, don't worry about it. He dropped there, listen to you and Drancer on Canucks Talk. So there I you mean, go. That, that My is guy. A, that's where he's picking up the big well, word, clearly, say, from Drancer. There's a lot of verbosity on that show, so <laughs> that's uh, that's where it kind of comes from, I yes. suppose. If people listen to JP, it's a great place for JP to learn big words. There you go. All right, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Ian says the Canucks look burnt out. I mean, yeah, but I mean, Why? What have you done to be burnt, burnt out, out from what? For, what? for the long playoff you were on last year? These dudes had they've been off since like since what? Since April? They had like six months off. That reminds me of so in high school, uh I was on the basketball team and the basketball coach was like, Everyone has to improve their conditioning, so you all have to go out and join the cross country team. Yeah. And so I went to practice, the first practice for the cross country team, and we did this run. And we stop, and I was like, oh, man, I am wiped. Whew, like, that was a really tough run. And then my friend there was like, that was just the warm-up. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, all right, well, I'm level. done with cross-country <laughs> club. That's I'm gonna not be, doing this. That's going to be it for me. Uh, I know. Oh, man. Uh, Kai from uh, Langley. How's this for a stat? Canucks have the worst PK in the league, the most penalty minutes in the league. As far as players go, Shen has the most penalty minutes in the league, and Myers is right after him with six uh, sixth, Pearson comes in at 18th. I don't know what to say. With these numbers, you have to make serious changes. Yeah, uh, the Canucks bad PK, but they take a lot of penalties as well. And, you know, uh, Tanner Pearson leaves the game with an injury. So it's just one of those situations where who do you hold accountable? Mm-hmm. You know, now we'll see if Pearson can even play, but uh, do they sit one of these guys? Do they make that type of message short term? I know the trade stuff isn't easy to do. It's going to take some time, but... Do we see a drastic move of that nature? And I, I'm curious about what we see on the blue line as well, because you do still have Kyle Burrows, who's healthy, but has been a healthy yeah. scratch pretty consistently. But Burrows has done everything asked of him every time he's gotten in the lineup, and there's certainly no shortage of guys you could take out. I know a lot of fans will be kind of expecting it'll be Rathbone after the game he yeah. had tonight. That certainly wouldn't surprise me, but I don't know. Like, Do you send a message? Do you sit Tyler Myers? Do you sit OEL for Kyle Burrows? I Maybe, right? Yeah. Like, why not? Yeah. <laughs> why not at this point? Why not? Uh, this text came in from Hardy from Richmond. We could have had Scott Niedermeyer back in the day, local boy and Stanley Cup winner, but decided Marcus Naslin. Bad move. Should have traded Miller last year for a D-man. Keep him bad move. Now Bo Horvat worth a good trade for a D-man. And we're going to make another mistake by paying him. Get some defense. That's Hardy from Richmond. And Hardy makes up... A, this is one of the, I think, long-lost... 
Canuck moments in history that doesn't get talked about enough. Coming out of the lockout that lost uh, the full season, which was lost back in 2005, and 05-06 was the first year. The salary cap was introduced, and the Canucks, of course, up against it with the players that they had on the team. They had to trade Brent Sopel. Mm-hmm. They had to get rid of a bunch of players just to you know, be able to be cap-compliant that year. And they had a choice. To bring Marcus Naslin back, who was a UFA, or signed Scott Niedermeyer, who had interest at the time in signing with the Vancouver Canucks. The Canucks decided to bring back Marcus Nasland and didn't quite work out, as we all know. Scott Niedermeyer goes to Anaheim, now they get Pronger as well, and everything going to win a Stanley Cup and all that sort of stuff. So the point I think Hardy makes more than anything is, don't keep doubling down on these forwards. If you have a trade or you have a possibility to get a defenseman, go and get that defenseman. And they're right back in the same position with Horvat that they yeah. were with Miller. Right, where the guy's having a career year, it's really hard to think about losing him because as much as we talk about the hole on the blue line, mm-hmm. let's say you do trade Bo Horvat and you're not 100% sure JT Miller is going to play center for you, well, all of a sudden you've got a massive hole at center yeah. as well, right? So I understand why it was so difficult that for them to ultimately pull the trigger and trade JT Miller. I think it's going to be just as difficult to do, if not more so, with Bo Horvat. But you've kind of put yourself in a position where that might be your only choice. Yeah. No, you're kind of up against it in that sense, right? Um, the good thing about a lot of Canucks fans is they can see what's coming. And Dex, well, at least he's winning some points with his wife. Dex texts in and says, well, that was embarrassing. On a positive note, my wife now thinks I'm smart because I said the in the first minute of the game that there would be a Pearson penalty and the Habs would score on the power play. There you go. But hey, if if you call an early Canucks power play and an early Canucks goal against on the PK, you're pretty safe. It's a pretty good bet. It's been a pretty common occurrence. Yeah, that one's not that hard to see. And and you only get slightly more credit if you also predict that they will allow the goal within the first 15 seconds of the power play. Which, yes. <laughs> which has also, also been a very common occurrence. A very common occurrence for this team. Uh, Devin in Saskatoon, Pedersen, Hughes, Demko, Mikheyev, Putkolzin are the only five guys you win with. Get rid of everyone else. I don't care what you get in return. Need the cap space. Now, you know, as far as the cap space stuff and everything else, is there going to come a point where the Canucks just make a deal strictly for cap space. Is that available for them? And by that, I mean, and I made the example, just strictly hypothetical here, but a team that's been looking for some scoring help is a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets. They also don't have a ton of cap space. They have a little bit, but not a ton of cap space. Would you be willing to move, say, hypothetically, Connor Garland to Columbus just for Gustav Nyquist's expiring $5.5 million contract? That's it. He's one year, then it's expiring. So you get the $4.95 million owed to Connor Garland completely off your books. So next year, you have that cap space, and it's free for the next three years beyond this season. Is that something? If I'm not even sure that's possible for you, but hypothetically speaking, are they going to get to a point where they're willing to just do that if that's available for them? Well, and I think a big... First of all, I think eventually you're going to have to get to that spot, right? You you tried to clear up the cap space this summer. We're not able to do so. Eventually, you're going to have to take more drastic measures. And if you're serious about trying to keep Bo Horvat, which, again, we heard from Jim Rutherford this week, it's still their, yeah. their intention to sign Bo Horvat. That's what they would like to do. 
Well, then you might have to do something like that right now, as soon as possible. You might not be able to wait to the summer because you need to free up that space before the trade deadline so you can actually make a competitive offer to Horvat. So that could be the kind of thing that forces the team to consider some of those trades like you're talking about. Yeah, and are they going to be able to do something like that? You know, And maybe that's where you go because getting the cap space in and of itself, because the mix needs to change, you need flexibility, and maybe that becomes the top priority more than trying to get anything back in return for some of those guys. Now, Bo, obviously... You tra- you're getting something. You're getting at least a first-round pick and a oh, prospect. Yeah, yeah. And somebody says, hey, Bowen, Bi- get Bowen for him. I think if you get, honestly, I think if they could get Bowen Byram, they would do it straight up. Heck, if they could have gotten Bra- if they could have got Braden Schneider straight up for JT Miller, I think it would have made that trade. I think the Canucks would have made that trade. Well, JT I know Miller's you Braden reported Schneider. that they are much more focused on the quality of assets yes. as opposed to the quantity. Yeah, so right? I think that if they can get one, you know, they'd like to get something else back in return, but that's really what they're looking for, that one good asset slash prospect young player. And look, the other thing Jim Rutherford said about Bo Horvat is if he's playing like this, he's going to be a very desirable asset, right? It yeah. also, as much as it makes it more difficult for us to sign a contract with him, it also drives up the interest in him around the league. So it puts you in a stronger negotiating position in that way. And look, if they do decide to explore him at the deadline, he's going to be probably, if not the most desirable player on the trade market, certainly right up there. Right, A guy that teams will be lining up to try to acquire, I would say. Yeah, I'd say so as well. This one says, I would absolutely do that type of a Garland deal. And uh, you know, maybe that's something they, they would like to explore, and we'll see if that's something that does actually happen here for this team. But that's what you might be faced with. It's not going to be anything back in return, but can you just get that money off the books? Not this year, but beyond this season to give you the flexibility that you're looking for. And, um, you know, we are going to get to Ian McIntyre coming up in just a second here. But just kind of finishing off, wrapping up the thoughts on this game, because we haven't talked about Demko a ton. We did, obviously, right off the bat with Randeep, and we've taken texts, and we talked about how much he struggled. But how concerning is it starting to become? With Jack Rathbone? Well, with, no, sorry, with Thatcher Demko. Oh, excuse me, with Thatcher Demko. Sorry, I was reading in the inbox. Yeah, because to me, like, it, I'm, I'm, I, I'd be very, very... I, I want to say I'm super concerned long-term. Well, that's the question I'm concerned, for me. Like, I'm concerned within the season how long it's going to take for him, because let's say... It's, he's like Pedersen. It took Pedersen half the season to figure yeah. it out. If it takes half the season for the Canucks, for him to figure out the net mining thing, they're, they're never they're not, really it's not getting back into then, it. Yeah. Yeah. The, bigger, the bigger question for me is, does it increase your concern long-term? I'm not there yet. I would still 100% bank on, on Thatcher Demko turning around and later, you know, if not, as you said, and maybe it takes half this season, but eventually getting back to the Thatcher Demko that we're all familiar with. Uh, absolutely. All right, uh, let's go to Montreal. Where the intro plays, the closer is ready, he's warming up, he's stepping out. You hear him on radio, you see him on TV, you read him on digital, it's Ian McIntyre. There must be some kind of way out of here. How oh, yeah. often does that run through Bruce Boudreaux's mind? Oh, I think every <laughs> every night now, pretty much yeah. every night now. And I, uh, I, I got to admit, it it runs through my mind sometimes too. Covering this, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, man. I think it's a perfect line for yeah. like how you know there must be some way out of this. There there has to be some way out of this. But I mean, you look at Boudreaux, and I know he was somewhat critical, but. He he's almost in an impossible situation now because it's, the entire world's against his team, uh, the president's against his team. Obviously, we've seen all that sort of stuff. So, as much as he may want to lay into those guys, can he really lay into them with how fragile the whole situation is? Yeah, well, uh, I don't know why not because they're not doing him any favors. Yeah, 
Like that's, I saw your tweet earlier, Sat, about the the players. If they, if they really like Boudreaux, then they should start to play for him. Yeah. And it, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of truth in that. That that for and the players do love Boudreaux. Like, don't uh, I'm not suggesting anything of uh, otherwise. Uh, he is a player's coach, but at times the Canucks don't look like a coach, a coach's players, you know, the way that, the way that they play, the way that it's the same mistakes often by the same guys. And that was, uh, I think that was never more evident this season than in the first period with the bad penalty by Tanner Pearson, the horrendous giveaway by JT Miller, and they both end up in goals and, and the game's essentially over at, at the 12 minute mark. Uh, one night after you rally in the second half of a game and, and you win a game that you, you easily could have lost, but for the goaltending of, of Spencer Martin, the players aren't helping Boudreaux. And I think a lot of them uh, genuinely feel badly for him. You know, they're all aware of, of what happened on, on Monday with, with Rutherford's comments. But Rutherford has been unable so far to get them to correct these mistakes. They're losing the same way. The, the order of the goals is different. Like tonight, the Canucks didn't blow a lead. They just mm. fell so far behind, they really didn't have any reasonable chance to win the game. Um, so the order of the goals are, are, are different, but the means by which they allow them are, are just the same. You know, game after game after game, and even in... You know, two of the three games, or two of the three of the four games, they've they've won. They weren't very good defensively, and they've allowed four or more goals eleven times in fourteen games. They've allowed fewer than three once. How are you going to win that way? Are you, you su- can't. Are you, you can't. surprised, Ian, that after what we heard from Jim Rutherford earlier this week, that the team, I know they got the win in Ottawa, but it was a really tough first two periods in Ottawa, and then again the performance tonight. Are you surprised that it didn't provoke at least some sort of different type of performance and different type of effort from the team in the first two games after it? Yeah, well, the, I think that it had some effect in the second half of the game. I think part, and if you listen to what Bo Horvat said after the game in Ottawa, of course, he was he was a focal point, not of the criticism, but mm-hmm. of, of the appearance on radio because his contract situation had been mentioned. I, I think the guys were kind of rally, rallied around that. Once they got over the shell shock, uh, I think they kind of rallied around that and, and used a bit of a siege mentality of us versus the world and it helped against Ottawa but Ottawa's a really immature wide open team as well yeah that that's losing a bunch of games and and my Montreal's not going to win the Stanley Cup this year they're they're not going to be the team to end the Canadian drought not this season anyways even though they they have some good players and they appear to be on the uptick uh, they're not a great team either, but they were they were a lot more organized than the Ottawa Senators were. I, I'm surprised that the players and tonight, you know, Jack Rathbone made a couple of terrible mistakes with the puck, and he's a guy that 
that people are screaming to see more of, whether he's ready or not, and certainly didn't look NHL ready tonight. But it, for the most part, it's not it's not the Jack Rathbones. It's not it's not the Rook, and you know it's not Niels Hoaglander, even though he's been in and out of the lineup, and it's not the guys on you know, the depth defensemen who aren't playing right now, like, say, Kyle Burroughs, and, and it's not Niels Oman. And, and really, it's, it's, not, it's not the new guys either. It's not Kuzmenko and Mikhaev. It's, it's, it's their veteran players that are letting them down. You know, it's, it's not getting enough from Ekman Larson and, and Tyler Myers a lot of nights. It's JT Miller's turnovers, constant turnovers. And now that he's at center again and seems to have the puck more, they've returned. He was better as a winger uh, and, and I thought more effective. But Boudreaux's put him back to, to center now. And, and, you know, there were a couple of horrendous giveaways last night, but it didn't end up in the net. But tonight it did. And, you know, even at, even at times there's been games where it's a mistake by Elias Pettersson or, or Quinn Hughes. And now, you know, maybe that's normal in a in a way because these guys play so much. So the guys who play the most and have the game on their stick, sometimes it's going to go the other way. But it it just seems that there's there's a sameness here and a culpability in the way that the Canucks are losing a lot of these games. And again, Boudreau hasn't been able to stop that even though he's you know supports them and, and no matter, matter what he says and he's been very blunt uh, a couple of times post game with his criticism mm-hmm. no matter what he says his actions are he supports them and and encourages them and and you know stands by them because he believes that they'll they'll get going but it, it just it just hasn't it, it hasn't happened and I think one of the quotes that hasn't got enough attention from Bruce Boudreau, and I tweeted it out tonight, was the one where he said that they've got to find a way to hold players accountable mm-hmm. because that has not happened. So does that mean we should expect uh, a high-salary player to get healthy scratch, not name Connor Garland? Because clearly that didn't yeah. send the message. Yeah. I, or how about just how about miss a few shifts? How about that? Why yeah. don't we start there? You don't need to take... And I'm using JT tonight, and it sounds like I'm picking on him, but it's just tonight it was one of his mistakes. Uh, other nights it's been other guys. But how about you just miss a shift or you don't get out on the power play or or something to show that there's a, a repercussion to it. You know, Boudreaux said after the game that he's going to address these two offensive zone penalties that Tanner yeah. Pearson took. But he could have addressed it in the game mm-hmm. you know it ended up Pearson got hurt soon after his his second penalty like left the game and, and didn't play again so now now we don't know but you know it didn't appear that he was <laughs> certainly after the first penalty there didn't seem to be any repercussion you know when it was one nothing 12 seconds after after Pearson took a penalty so you know it's you you can't you, you can't just keep going I don't think this is this is Bruce's fault like what's what's happened here with this team this isn't all on on Boudreaux it's mostly on the players yeah and it usually is in almost every circumstance it's mostly on the players but Boudreaux hasn't been able through 14 games to get them to stop 
making the same mistakes. He hasn't, and there hasn't seemed to be a lot, seemed to be, have been uh, much accountability during games. I know it's tough. Like the world, the, the world almost ended in Toronto when Mitch Marner got benched for one shift. <laughs> yes, yes. But it, but it was, but it was the right thing to do. And, and I don't follow the Leafs that closely, but I'm guessing it wasn't his first or second turnover when Sheldon Key finally lost his, his patience and sat him down for a shift. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's guys who probably should have been sat down for some shifts by now. I don't disagree with that, Ian. I know you got to run. You uh, you have some writing to do. We look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca, and we'll chat with you on the weekend when, where it doesn't get any easier. Toronto on Saturday, then back-to-back against one of the hottest, toughest teams to play against in the league so far this season, the Boston Bruins. Yeah, and that's the shame about tonight. It feels like another lost opportunity, and it's a lot to ask for a team to go on the road and, and win twice in, in 24 hours, but you know, everybody knew how the road trip was setting up, and everybody knew uh, that these were the most winnable games, and now it, now it's going to be tougher. Yeah, it absolutely will be. Ian, thanks for your time, man. We look forward to chatting with you on the weekend. Good night, fellas. Uh, that is Ian McIntyre. Make sure to read us latest on sportsnet.ca. And, you know, as far as accountability goes, I want to see it. It's a good point he makes, too, right? It does, we go to healthy scratch, and obviously that's a certain yeah. level, but, yes, yeah, to the guy. Right, or, bump or, a guy down the lineup, or even. exactly like, do you start next game where, where you put one of your top centers on the fourth line, and he's playing with like Studnika and like Joshua? Mm-hmm. You know, you stay there for the entire first period. You're on the second unit power play. You're not on the first unit. Like that's your poison pill for the first period of the game or whatever, or the entire game. Yeah, I mean something, it, something. Mm-hmm. The only guy who's paid a price so far is Connor Garland, and he hasn't been good enough either. But and it, it does, it does, it kind of doesn't hit the mark. Yeah, you know? but it was also like. I, uh, if you were to rank like problematic forwards Culprits, for the yeah. Canucks, I mean, he's not in the top five. No, he hasn't been. He hasn't moved the needle enough. But yeah, but yeah. he hasn't. No, he hasn't had these glaring, brutal plays either. These negative plays that no. some of the other guys have had. So I, it's kind of a weird one at the time. And but if you're going to go down that road with him, then why not some of the other players? Right? Yeah, hundred percent. And as far as movement on the roster, and 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 we'll see. Somebody asked, said, "Hey, ask IMAC if Miller can still be traded without retaining salary." I mean, they can. The thing right now, though, is Miller has a long-term contract. A team looking to make that commitment, it's a harder deal to do in season. It's more of an off-season thing where we know where the cap is, what teams are looking to do. They move somebody. Maybe then you look at it potentially, but then his contract kicks in with a no-move clause as well. It's is there a world? Yes, he does have a no-trade clause this season. It kicks in next year. There is a world where he can get traded. It's just more complicated. You know, yeah. it's not. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't bank on that being something they would end up doing. Now, Rutherford did add the caveat that they may have to do things they didn't want to do, or they may have to do things they didn't consider doing before with players on this roster because they can't move certain guys on this team. So, do they explore something they weren't re- willing to re- explore before, and that opens up every player's name as a possibility potentially? So, it does exist the possibility. I just don't see it right now, and from everything I gather, checking in on this, that it looks like a possibility that you should be taken seriously at the moment. Maybe that changes, but as of now, I'm not sure that there's anything there to it. A, a move of that magnitude, again, I would not bet on it happening, but even if it did happen, it's more a, a January, February thing 
right? Where there is at least a little bit of cap space opens up. You yeah. probably have a much better idea of how the rest of your season is going to go at that point. Maybe you've got a better idea of what's going on with Bo Horvat as well. And it might be, you know, you suggested the kind of the Connor Garland for Gustav Nyquist, right? Who only has the one year left. With JT Miller, is it something where, you know, you take back some salary that maybe only has two or three years left, right? So it's not the term that JT yeah. Miller has but to I try mean, to facilitate a deal. I don't know. But but here's here's the thing that I would get me from that. Let's say the organization decides to do that, just punt on JT. Like, how bad is your process that you sign a guy to a seven-year extension, and then three months later, it's like, nah, let's rip this one up. So I don't see it. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't speak to it. Now, if they get value, that's a different decision, you know, because, like, you get something for it. But just to get off the contract for anything they can get from months. After signing but that's, it, that's it, a the thing is, you put yourself in a position now where you might have to do something like that yeah. just to move it. Now, yeah. maybe you still get a nice piece on top of it as well, but you might have to yeah. take some salary back to facilitate it. And that's a long way of saying, I don't see the JT exactly, trade being And that's likely. why I started by saying, I don't think it's going to exactly, happen. Exactly, <laughs> right? So you talk about how it's possible, that's yeah. how it is, and, and it's not likely. And, and it does kind of illuminate outside of Horvat, how complicated it is for Vancouver to be looking to make deals. We mentioned the Garland thing. Besser's not playing all that well. Horvat's the only guy. In that market, you want to make sure you hit a home run with if you are actually trading him. So again, like I hate doing the, there isn't much going on, let's be patient here, but literally right now, there isn't anything And imminent. even guys like Tanner Pearson and Tyler Myers, who this time last year, I think a lot of us were looking ahead and saying, okay, you get past this upcoming July 1st, you pay them their signing bonuses, they only have one year left on their deal, all of a sudden they become a lot easier to move. You might not even have to retain salary or take salary back. You might just be able to move them. If they were still playing like those guys were last year, that's yeah. probably still true. But they're not helping their stock either. Either of them no, right they're now. they're not. Uh, before we get out of here, Jamie, it's been a lot of fun doing the postgame show with you. Honestly, MVPs, people calling in and texting in. Love it. Honestly, we've had a lot of fun here on the postgame show tonight. Um Rotten Ramsey on on Twitter and others are asking, who do you start on Saturday? Well, I actually don't think it's as hard of a decision as it might be because you look at it and it's the glamour game, right, in Hockey Night in Canada yeah. in Toronto, and you always think you want that to be your start your starting goalie, right? The thing is, Spencer Martin is from Ontario, okay? He's from Oakville, so he has that going for him. And don't forget, Thatcher Demko played college hockey in Boston, right, at Boston College. So there's kind of some logic to saying you can you can say that the game in Boston is almost more important for Thatcher Demko, or at least you can sell it that way. It's not it it, it would I, I think it's less difficult than it would normally because you can say, well, look, we're giving Martin the start in his hometown, and then we're giving Demko the start where he played his college hockey. So I would go with Spencer Martin. That's what I would do right now. I would do the same thing. He's played better. Go with Spencer Martin tonight, and then you're right, college hockey for Thatcher Demko in Boston. Throw him yeah. out there and see if. The friendly confines of Boston? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm not sure about that. But, hey, you know, that's the reality they're faced with here. Um, all right. Uh, a lot of fun. Again, thanks, for everybody, for being part of the show. Uh, we love each and every one of you. Can't wait to be back chatting with you on the weekend when the Canucks are in Toronto against the Leafs. Pre-game gets going at 3, 4 p.m. puck drop. And there is a pre-game show coming up at 2.30 p.m. on Sunday ahead of the game between the Canucks and the Boston Bruins on Sportsnet Pacific. So back on TV for that day as well. Jamie Dodd, he's back on Canucks Talk tomorrow with Thomas Drance. I'm Satyar Shaw, back with Dan Riccio on Canucks Central tomorrow. And we're doing the Friday Mailbag on Thursday. So get your questions in. I'll send a tweet out later. Thanks to Fast Eddie Gregory on the boards for producing the show. This has been the Canucks Central Postgame Show on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.